Let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 1. There's no law or rule that says in December we have to talk about Christmas stuff. But I do think it's a good time to talk about the, the advent of the king, the birth of Jesus, because as you're walking around reminded by decorations, reminded by song, reminded by uh, festivities and, and tradition, it's good to know what you're celebrating. And there's a whole bunch of things this season that aren't worth celebrating. And the world does its best to cloud and to twist the message. But there's something worth celebrating. We... we we don't know exactly when Jesus was born, but we can be almost positive he wasn't born this time of year. But that's okay. <laughs> what happened, and, and some people will tell you that Christmas was a combination of a Christian and a pagan festival, but if you really do your research, you'll find out that's not exactly the case. In fact, the early church in Rome did not join with the festival of those that were celebrating the uh, birth of the sun god. They were celebrating the, uh, the days suddenly getting longer. Uh, the Romans celebrated, it was a pagan festival, the Christians actually rose up and did a counter celebration. Instead of celebrating the pagan things, they celebrated the birth of Jesus, knowing full well Jesus was born a different time of year, but they chose to celebrate this, so rather than cursing the darkness, they lit a little candle. Uh, you can study some of these traditions, and we, we may talk about them at another time, but today I want to talk to you a little bit about um, the first announcements that came. Two important people were born for this whole thing to begin, and one was John the Baptist and the other was Jesus himself. John the Baptist was necessary because if John hadn't been born, there would not have been the voice that God prophesied that would prepare the way of the Lord. Some of us think, well, if Jesus is teaching, Jesus is preaching, that's all you needed, but that's not the case. The Bible tells us that there had to be a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, that his preaching, his teaching, his baptism of repentance was going to prepare a way so that people's hearts would be ready to receive Jesus. There's a great uh, Christmas carol, one of my favorites, Joy to the World, where it says, let every heart prepare him room. The truth is that Jesus was the greatest preacher the world had ever seen. It wasn't the only thing he was, but he was a great preacher, a great teacher, and yet most people walked away without receiving a thing from him. Jesus was the great healer, but in his own hometown, they received very little from him as far as mighty works and miracles because they couldn't believe. It's not just about who Jesus is. It's about who you allow him to be in your own life. He is everything. He is all-sufficient. He is infinite. And yet, you've got to open up some space in your own heart. There's a point where the angel announces to John's dad. John the Baptist was born to a couple of really old people. His dad was Zecharias, who was a, 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 a priest, uh, somebody who had a high position in the Jewish synagogue. In fact, the day that the angel appeared to him, he was on duty at the temple. That same angel appeared to Mary and told her that Jesus was going to be born. Their reactions are similar, but different enough that they had a totally different response from the angel. I want you to turn to Luke 1, and we're going to read it together. Luke chapter 1, and um, let's start in verse 11. Zechariah is in the temple. He's doing his duty his priestly service, and um, he was burning this incense before God. 
In verse 11, it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. The reason for that is you don't immediately know what this giant dude standing in front of you is. He's, he may, I don't know if he looked human. I don't know what he looked like, but it was enough to freak Zacharias out. So we always just picture if we saw an angel, we'd immediately go, oh, an angel, how lovely. You see, I used to work at a Christian bookstore, and, and the angels in most Christian giftware are the wimpiest things you've ever seen, right? They're either these babies with wings or they're, they're kind of like the wimpiest version of a human being with wings. Or in some cases, we had bears with wings, which I'll give you that. That would be terrifying. <laughs> Ironically, the bears with wings are what we give babies, right? Because nothing's better than telling a baby, wouldn't it be wonderful if this bear could fly? And you climb a tree to get away from it, the bear will fly up and get you there. Here, give it to your small child. It's a beautiful thing. I've gotten off track. I'm sorry. The angel... <laughs> freaked Zechariah out, and, and, and like the angel has to do many times, the angel of the Lord said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your petition has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, yet while in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know this? My, my Bible adds the word for certain, but they're in italics because they weren't originally there. Basically, all he says is, how will I know? How, do I, how would I know this? What's he asking? He's not saying, you know, when should I expect it? He's saying, can you prove this to me? Because this is, this is crazy. How will I know this for certain? I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. Do you know who I am? And I've been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. So it's a mixed bag for Zechariah. He just heard he's going to get a kid. He also just heard you're not going to be able to talk for nine months. That's a rough message. It's a good message, but it's a rough message. Now look what the angel says. The angel says, God heard your petition. How many of you have prayed something and God answered it, and you looked to heaven and said, this is a little late. Thank you for answering, but it's a bit late. I guarantee, I can almost guarantee, I can't totally guarantee, but I can almost guarantee Zechariah hasn't prayed for a kid for a long time. Because when he answers the angel, he says, well, how? I'm an old man. This is probably something he's prayed over and over again. He lived in a day and time where it was, it, you were a, a pariah at the edges of society. If you didn't have a kid, if your wife couldn't have a kid, and of course they always blame the woman, even, even in the Middle Ages, right? You got a king that's executing his wives because they can't produce kids. He's not realizing the common denominator is him. These wives are doing me no good, bearing me no children. Never bothering to ask why it was just the women that were with him that couldn't have kids. Back then, they just blamed the women all the time. Must be the woman's fault. I don't know what she did. She did something. So 
In fact, Elizabeth says when she has John, she says, the Lord has removed my shame, my disgrace. The Lord has, has given me back my dignity because even though she was respected, she was still looked upon as, well, poor her, bless her heart. I can pretty much guarantee that, that Zechariah has not prayed for a kid in years. And all of a sudden, an angel says, hey, God heard your prayer. Thanks. Thanks for that. You're about 40 years late. Thanks for the answer, though. But, but Zechariah doesn't say thank you. In fact, he says, how, will, how am I going to know this? Like, prove it to me. Because I'm an old man. My wife is an old woman. And the angel says, well, that does it. You can't talk for a while. And it's probably a good thing. He's probably doing Zechariah a favor. Why? Because James says the, the ship of your life is turned by the rudder of your mouth. So the best thing for you right now is to just to stop talking. Uh, if you can't get your head around the fact that God is doing this, it's best for you not to talk anymore. For nine months he can't talk until his son is born. His wife says, we're going to name him John. The whole, the whole town says, that's a funny name. Because in their culture, you named a child with family names. Names that were already in your family. So they said, well, that can't be right. And they, they, went, on to, they went on to Zechariah. And it says they began to make signs to him. Which I'm sure annoyed him because he says, I can't talk. I can hear her. I just can't talk. But people made signs to him trying to figure out. And they say, is this true? There's no family named John. Are you going to name him John? And Zechariah says his name, he writes on a tablet, his name is John. And when he did that, the Lord opened his mouth. And the first words he said out of his mouth were a prophetic word about who John would be and who Jesus would be. But we can't ignore the fact that he messed up the first conversation. He let his own doubt and his own idea of what God could do stand in the way of what God was doing. Now, if we were to flip just a few verses down, Mary has a similar conversation. Go down in your Bible just a little bit further to the verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, really betrothed to him. So that was like next level engagement. It was pretty much as solid as being married without all the responsibilities and benefits of being married. It was, it was pretty set. And he says, it's set so much so that Joseph actually had to consider divorcing her. It wasn't like he could just say, give me my ring back. He had to go through a process of divorce to get rid of her. And in fact, so the angel shows up to this woman who's betrothed to Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement, kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. What a strange greeting. I'm just a teenage girl. Why would an angel show up and say the Lord's with you? In verse 30, the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and you'll bear a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I'm a virgin? 
The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And immediately Mary does the right thing and she just goes and finds Elizabeth because she's thinking Elizabeth's the only one that's going to be able to believe this and understand this. Now here's my question. Both Zacharias and Mary seem pretty surprised and pretty incredulous. Like, how's this going to happen? But Zacharias gets rebuked and his mouth shut for nine months and Mary gets praised. So what's the difference? Zechariah said, how am I going to know this? How can I know that that's true? Because, I mean, (laughs) how can I know that's true? I'm an old man. My wife's an old woman. We've never been able to have kids. Mary said, how will these things be since I'm a virgin? To us, those sound very similar, don't they? They both have their doubts. They both kind of express their doubts. But as somebody said, there's a doubt with an open heart and there's a doubt with a closed heart. There's a way to respond to God. See, God knows that there are times where we hear something and it's hard to get our head around it. It's hard to get our heart around it. There are times where the the God's promises or, or the things that God asks of us or tells us are so beyond what we can comprehend that our first response is saying, how does that work? Maybe the moment that you first came to the Lord, you asked Why would you want me? How am I ever going to be clean? How am I ever going to be a believer? How am I ever going to fit in with these people? How am I ever going to turn my life around? Maybe that's the question you ask. Many of us have been healed at different times in our life. And at some point in our life, we said, I don't know if God can do this. I hope he can. God moved you from a place of questioning to a place where you were more solid and more solid with every step in your faith. Maybe you've come to this church and you've believed that if I don't have an absolute 100% faith right from the start, well, I don't fit in or I, I, don't, I, I don't know how I'm going to talk to other people. I mean, I've got questions. I don't know if it's okay to have questions. I'll tell you, it is okay to have questions. It's okay for you not to be sure of some things. It's okay for you to say, I'm not quite there yet, but I want to be there. God is not afraid of your questions. God is not expecting that you're always going to immediately get what he's trying to say. But will we respond like Zechariah or will we respond like Mary? You might say, well, they're both, they both responded the same. Zechariah said, how will I know? Mary said, how can this be? But if you really think about those two statements, they're different. Zechariah doesn't say, how are you going to do it? Zechariah says, how will I ever know that that's true? See, he still doesn't believe it's necessarily true. It's too hard for him to believe. Whereas Mary doesn't say, how do I know it's true? She says, how are you going to do that? Do you see the slight difference? One says, you better do some more things to prove that to me. The other one's saying, I believe you, I just don't know how. Both have some questions. But one has questions with a closed heart. The other has a question with an open heart. 
There are times where I respond to God and I've got to admit my faith is not there yet. I'm not fully on board yet. There are times I read the Bible and I see a scripture and I go, I know in my mind and I know in my heart that that's true, but I can't get my head around it right now. I want to believe that. I want to believe that, but right now I really am having trouble believing that. God's not afraid of that. In fact, I think the best thing you can do is to come to God with those questions and with those doubts and say, God, resolve this in my own heart. I'm not there yet, but I want to be. It's not a crime. It's not a sin to say, God, I need help believing this. The question is, have you closed your heart to the idea or will you open your heart to the idea? Zacharias asked a question. There's nothing wrong with the question, but his question was based on, I don't really believe that. Mary's question was, I can believe that you're right. I just don't know how you're going to do it. One guy gets his mouth shut for nine months. The other one gets encouragement from God. Then Mary does something else. I think it's important what she does in this next phase. She says, Look, I'm your bondservant. I'm the Lord's bondservant. What does that mean? We talked about this in men's group on Monday. Bondservant is the word doulos. It just means slave. God, I'm yours to command here. My life's not mine. My decisions aren't mine. My, my path is not mine. Realize that while the angel said this is good news, that doesn't feel like good news. It's good news that you get to bear the Son of God. It's kind of bad timing though, isn't it? You're engaged, you're a virgin, and people are going to start noticing your belly's getting bigger. And they're going to start spreading rumors, and, and it's, it's probably a, a small percentage of people that are going to really believe that you got pregnant because God talked to you and put a baby in you, right? Can we just be honest? I'm going to ask you a question. You don't raise your hand, don't say it out loud, but just an internal poll, Okay. Because we all want to seem like super faith people that would be right on board with this right away. Would you believe Mary? <laughs> Young girl, good girl in the church, loves the Lord. She's in love with her future husband. They've made a commitment to be pure and wait till marriage. She comes and says, I'm pregnant. Joe's not the dad, the Lord is. Even the most spiritual person in the church goes, uh-huh, right? An angel appeared to me. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what'd the angel look like, right? What's this, did this angel play for the football team? You know, tell me more about the angel. No, no, the angel didn't get me pregnant. The angel told me I was gonna get pregnant, uh-huh. Even Joseph, before the angel appeared to him, said, I'm gonna quietly divorce her just to rather than making a big deal out of this, because he would have had the right to take this to the court. He didn't. He said, I'll just quietly send her away, spare her some shame, but that's not my kid. And it wasn't until the angel said, this really is of the Lord, that he gets his head on straight and sticks with her. So this good news is not always good news for her. She realizes it's going to be a hard, hard thing for her. And yet she says... Behold, I'm God's servant. God, whatever you want to do with my life, it's yours. Let it be done to me according to your word. 
when she gets to Elizabeth's house, most of you know this story, she gets to Elizabeth's house. Elizabeth is, is already pregnant with John. And when she gets to Elizabeth's house, John jumps up and, and Auntie Elizabeth's womb, jumps up, her cousin Elizabeth, I guess, jumps up in, in her womb. And she, immediately at that moment, the Bible says, little John is filled with the Holy Spirit, even in his mother's womb. And Elizabeth begins to prophesy. And then she says, blessed is she who believed that what God said about her would be fulfilled. Blessed is the woman who believed God and believed that what God said about her was true, even when it was hard to believe. I want you to see that Mary was not wrong to react with some questions. And once again, I know I've said this Probably four times already, I'll say it again. God is not afraid of your questions. God is not afraid of those areas of your heart that still need to be convinced. But what God's looking for is for you to say, first off, God, I know you're right. I know you're God, and I know I'm yours. He's willing to work through with you and, and bring you further so that, as, as it says about Abraham, he grew strong in the faith. Abraham was not always strong in the faith, but it said he grew strong in the faith, giving glory to God. Now, there's some questions I have about that too in Romans. Because God says about Abraham, without wavering an unbelief. It says without becoming weak in the faith. And that all sounds good until you realize that Abraham at a certain point believed God until it didn't happen right away. And his wife comes to him and says, this isn't working. Maybe you should get another lady pregnant and that'll be the kid that God talked about. Now that would be really weird in our society, but in his that wasn't too uncommon. And Abraham says, okay, maybe that's how God's going to do it. Except God said it was going to come through Sarah. That baby's going to be yours and Sarah's. So we could ask ourselves, well, it sure seems like Abraham did grow weak in the faith. It sure seems like he wavered a little bit. And yet overall, even though he had some questions about how God was going to do it, he never doubted God was going to give them that son. He never doubted he was going to be the father of many nations. So much so that when God said, change your name, he said, okay. And he had to go to all his friends and all his family members and say, I have a new name now. Oh, yeah? What's your name? It's father of many. It's a great name for someone who doesn't have any kids. Well, that's what you're going to call me now. I don't want to call you that. You have to call me that. That's my name. <laughs> who gave you that name? God gave me that name. He met me in my tent. Really? Do you see that? On this side of history, that seems fine because they're superheroes, right? But if you lived with them at the time, you would have had to, some questions and you would have had to come to grips with some things. And these were ordinary people who believed in an extraordinary God and trusted God even when their doubts were there, even when their questions were there. They said, I have something bigger than my doubts and that's my faith in God. Amen. Faith does not have to work in an absolute vacuum where you have no questions and no doubts. Faith begins to work on those places and faith will eventually push those doubts away. But you start with that small mustard seed of faith. Believe God. I got some questions. That's okay, he's got answers. I have some doubts, that's okay. 
allow him to work on those doubts, but will you believe first and foremost, he's God, you're his, and what he says will happen? If you can believe that, God can work on the other areas. There are some interesting scriptures in the New Testament. One of them shows up when it's talking about people coming out of their tradition and not knowing what they're allowed to eat. And the Apostle Paul writes and he says, he says, be patient with those who are weak in the faith, who only eat certain foods because they're afraid to eat other foods. He says, be patient with them and tolerate them. Work with them. Well, it says they're weak in the faith. Shouldn't we smack them around a little bit and say, have some faith, eat some meat? <laughs> but it says, be patient with them. Now, guys, these weren't vegetarians for diet reasons. They were not eating meat because they were afraid that the meat was offered... This was meat that came from the Gentile market. And they were afraid that it might have been offered to idols at some point. And if it had been offered to idols, what if I'm defiled? And God said, whatever you pray over is sanctified. By the word and prayer, it's all right, just eat it. But he said, listen, if you have somebody that still doesn't have enough faith to eat that, he says, tolerate them, put up with them, and don't judge them. Because God is able to make them stand. It's an interesting thought. It says in Jude, have mercy on some who are doubting. Now listen, I don't think that should be your permanent place. I don't think for the rest of your life, you should be that person that's always doubting. Right? Do you want that reputation? I don't want that reputation. But I want you to know this. God has space for you to move from doubting to faith. From from unbelief to belief. If you can start with that mustard seed of faith and focus on that and believe, okay, this is what I know. There's a lot of this that sounds weird, but I know this, there is a God. I know this, Jesus came to die for me. I know this, I belong to him. And what he says comes to pass because he's been around and he will be around long before and long after the world is. So what he says is true. And I'm going I'm to surrender my heart, I'm going to surrender my questions, I'm going to surrender my doubts and say this. Okay, what I know is this. Let it be done to me what you've said. I don't want to be like Zecharias who says, well, how are you going to prove that to me? I want to be like Mary who says, I don't know how you're going to do it. But whatever you want to do, do it. There's a moment in Mark chapter 9 that, that I love to go back to because um, I can see myself in this story. The background is that Jesus and three of his disciples have been up on the mountain. And these three disciples have witnessed what we call the transfiguration. They've witnessed Jesus being glorified, standing with Elijah and Moses. There's great significance in that. We don't have time to go deep into it tonight. But they saw something glorious. So much so that Peter said, why don't we just make three tabernacles here? One for each of you, and we'll just stay up on the mountain. Jesus says, no, we got to go down the mountain. But meanwhile, what's happening at the bottom of the mountain is not quite so glorious. What's happening at the bottom of the mountain is a man has a demon-possessed kid, brings him to the disciples, who, by the way, have already been casting out evil spirits. Brings them to the disciples and says, can you do something about this? They say, sure. Step back. And they fail over and over again at casting this evil spirit out of this kid. Jesus comes down the mountain. We're going to pick up there. In Mark chapter 9.
And uh, verse 14, when they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, some scribes arguing with them. Immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And Jesus asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him and said, teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. Whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and he grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do it. And he answered them and said, oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring them to me. Nobody wants to hear Jesus say that about them. See, we we just picture Jesus as the ultimate tolerant uh, buddy figure who's always like, you guys are great. You guys are wonderful. You can't do a thing wrong. But here he says, how long do I have to put up with you? Wouldn't that be a wound to your self-esteem? Jesus, the Savior of the world, says, how long do I have to put up with you? Like, seriously, can I just go to the cross now because I have to deal with you? No, that's not what he said. (laughs) He said, oh, unbelieving generation, got on to them for their lack of faith, for their unbelief. Then he says, bring him to me. They brought the boy to him. When he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion, falling to the ground and began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? He said, from childhood. It's thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can? This is the guy's statement. If you can do anything, if there's anything you can do. See, he's questioning whether or not Jesus can do this because he had some faith, but then he brought him to the disciples and, and was disappointed. So the disappointment that's in his life has sowed some unbelief in his own heart. And he says, if you can do anything about it, would you please? And Jesus responds saying, if you can. He said, all things are possible to him who believes. So Jesus catches his statement. What do you mean if you can? All things are possible. And the man says this, immediately the boy's father cried out and said, he realized what he had said. He cried out and corrected his statement. He said, I do believe, help my unbelief. Now listen to that. Sometimes we look at that in a binary sense and we go, well, those both can't possibly be true at the same time. Either you believe or you don't. Either you have faith or you have doubt, but that's not the case. He says, I do believe, but I got some unbelief. Help my unbelief. What does Jesus do immediately? Jesus heals the boy. Immediately, Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And after crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, raised him, and he got up. When he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. They had to learn something there. Some people interpret that to mean that Jesus says, you can't cast it out right away, you got to spend some time praying. And yet Jesus cast it out right away. But Jesus had been praying. He was prayed up, he was filled up. The disciples didn't have the inner capacity to carry what they needed to carry to make this happen. That's not really the point that I'm getting at today. The point I'm getting at today 
is that Jesus was okay with this man saying, I'm not fully there, but I believe. Help my unbelief. I think we all can identify with that statement. There have been places in my life where I've said, God, I believe. Help my unbelief. There are places in me, there are parts of my heart, parts of my brain that are still going, how is this going to happen? How are you going to do this? Are you sure? And if you ask me, do you believe what God said? I would say, I do believe. But then there's a part of me that says, help my unbelief. Do you believe God's able to help your unbelief? Yeah. Do you believe it's okay to say that to God? Yeah. Because if you don't say it to God, nothing's hidden from Him. Sometimes we hide those places in our heart and we cover it up with big talk. Now, there's nothing wrong with speaking the Word of God. In fact, that's the best thing you could do. It says Abraham grew strong in the faith by giving glory to God. Giving glory to God when you don't see it, when you don't feel it. That's the best thing you can do. But sometimes we cover up our own questions by just trying to push them to the back of our minds when really what God is able to do is deal with some of those things. And some of them you don't have an answer right away, and that's okay. God's dealt with some of my questions by not answering them and saying, those questions are not the point. Okay. Others he's dealt with in a way where I had peace in my spirit. I knew that the question was answered. But if you'd asked me what's the answer, I couldn't put it into words for you. I just knew I'm settled right in here. I know that in my spirit, something changed. I went from being unsure to being sure. If you were to say, why? What did God say? What did he do? I couldn't tell you. I just know something shifted. Your initial response to the word of the Lord is very important. It's very important how you respond right away. You don't have to fake anything. You don't have to pretend you get it all the time. But your initial response needs to be one of saying, God, even if I don't fully understand it, I say yes. Let it be done. Let it be so. In fact, that's what we're saying when we say amen. Amen, amen. It means So be it. Let it be done. In the Old Testament, they would say that. That was like your signature at the bottom of the covenant. By saying amen, you were saying I'm in. I believe this. Let it be done. So be it. You're not just saying amen in church to make the preacher feel like he's preaching good. Sometimes I say amen, not because somebody said something that was witty or powerful in a certain sense, but because I needed to say amen to it. I needed to say, I let that be done, even when I don't know how, even when I don't fully believe it. I say, so be it, because I know it's the word of God. And I know what God says is true, even when I haven't yet wrapped my mind around it. And guys, your brain is not as big as God. So there's sometimes you'll never fully understand it up here. But you got to get there by faith and say, all right, I don't fully get this, but I believe this. And God will work with your questions. He's good like that. He is a teacher. The Holy Spirit said he will lead you and guide you into all truth. That means you don't get all the truth the moment you got saved. You got to walk into it. You got to walk with him. Jesus said to his disciples, there's things I want to say to you right now, but I can't say them right now because you can't hear them right now. You couldn't bear what I had to say. They asked him some questions about things. He said, I have answers. You can't hear them yet. 
You're going to hear them later. And one of the first things that had to happen was for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That, that was enabling them to receive some things that they couldn't receive before. But there's also some things that Jesus was able to say to Peter in year three of them being together that he didn't say to Peter in year one. In fact, Jesus told Peter how he was going to die in the last conversation they had together. One of the last conversations they had together. Something that Peter couldn't have heard if he had said it the first day they went fishing. There are some things God wants to teach you and show you and answer for you that it's going to take walking with him for a bit before you're ready to hear it. The question is, what will your initial response be? Even if you have questions, even if there's some doubts there, will you say, all right, I'm yours. Let it be done to me according to your word. I've been guilty of responding too quickly when I hear something. Because I respond out of what I know up here rather than what I'm hearing here. Guys, there's things that God says that don't make sense at first. But will you respond with an open heart or a closed heart? Even when you're doubting, will your doubts be presented in a way of, I believe you, help my unbelief. I believe you, I don't know how, but I believe you. Or will it be like Zechariah who says, how, how are you going to prove that to me? How am I ever going to know that that's true? That's a different statement because Zechariah did not fully buy in that the angel was telling the truth. How will I know that? Now, you can go back in the Old Testament and Gideon sure seemed to be pretty doughty. If doughty's a word, doubtful is a better word. <laughs> and God was patient with him. I'd say God was very patient with Zechariah. You know, the angel didn't say, that's it, baby's going to someone else. You blew it. No. Elizabeth still had the kid. Zechariah still got to be the dad. In fact, he got to be the prophet over this kid's life in the first moments of him breathing air. That's pretty important. I want to encourage you with the, the fact that God is not afraid of somebody who says, I'm still struggling to believe this. If you're willing to be open to him and be open to his voice and say, I'm still struggling to believe that, but I do believe that. It's an okay statement to say, I believe. Help my unbelief. To be honest in the, in the sense that you say, I do believe this. I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't know what you're going to do, but I know that you're right. We've had people... Many of you might have been these people at some point in time that came to church, sat in its chairs, and listened and heard. I know people, there's been several people who said they came to services, and, and in, while praise and worship was going on, they wept. They didn't know what was happening. They're just weeping. And then they, they hear the message, and at the end of the service, they say, I still, I'm still not there yet. I'm still not there yet. I know you guys are, you guys are awesome. You're weird, you're, you're great, you're weird, you're freaky, all of these things. And I know something's here and I know something's going on, but I, I'm still not there yet. And God was faithful to move you down the field, step by step, to build in you something so that you came to a point of faith. I'll leave you with this, this just conversation I had. I had it with one of one of the men in my life that's been able to speak to me honestly and truthfully. When I first 
said to the Lord, okay, uh, I, didn't wanna, I wasn't ready to, I didn't think I was ever going to pastor. I thought I was going to do something totally different. And uh, God worked on my heart and dealt with me, and, and it was a wonderful thing for me to enter into that. I was a single guy, didn't, I wanted to get married, I just didn't think it was going to happen right away at a certain time. And uh, many of you guys know the story of, of me going to Spokane and uh, 10 different people who hadn't talked to each other came to me up at that conference and said, I never say this, this sounds flake, I know this is weird, I think your wife's at this conference. And I said, who'd you talk to? <laughs> no, no, nobody, I'm sorry, did I offend you? No, you didn't offend me. Don't talk to me more about this, go away. But, uh, <laughs> and God just began to do those things, but... What I don't talk about a lot is uh, that before that trip, something changed in my own heart where I said, I'm going to be single for a while. But something changed in my heart right before that trip where I suddenly became okay with the idea that my wife could be around the corner. Marriage could be sooner than I thought. And my heart opened to the idea. And when my heart opened to the idea, God used some strange circumstances to bring that truth to me. And then I opened it a little bit further and God was able to bring me my wonderful wife, Tia. And I sat in the car talking to this, this man who was just being incredibly honest with me. And it was about this church right here in Lloyd. Because I said, how in the world can I pastor two churches? I don't think that's going to work. We're happy in Loon Lake. We're settled. Things are good. And he said, I think God brought your wife to you in that way so that you'd learn how to open your heart to some things that you had been closed to. I said, okay. He said, I think you might not be at a place right now where you're saying yes to pastoring that church, but if you would open your heart to the idea, you'll give room for God to speak to you. So I said, okay. And I realized I was totally closed to that idea. I told everybody, if God speaks, then I'll do it. But the truth was, I was close to it altogether. There was nothing coming through because I was close to that idea altogether. So when I had that conversation in the van, I said, okay. And I just did something very simple. I still thought God wouldn't say anything about this church to me. But I said, okay, I'll open my heart to the idea. And when I opened my heart, it wasn't long before God began to speak in many different ways. And I knew I was supposed to pastor here. There's a big difference between a closed and an open heart. God is faithful to bring you to a place where you're ready to hear. But you have to be okay with opening your heart to the idea of him speaking. In areas that you don't even fully understand or fully commit to. He is faithful if you will acknowledge, God, I believe, but you need to help me with my unbelief. He's going to say, okay, I will. And step by step, he's going to move you from point A to point B, from grace upon grace, from glory to glory, from this foundation to something on top of that foundation. If you're open to it, the best thing you can say, even when you don't think it's true, even when you don't really believe it, the best thing you can say is, all right, Lord, I'm yours. Let it be done to me according to your word. I don't know how. You're going to have to, we're going to have to have some more conversations, but yeah, let it be done. So be it. Amen. When you hear a message that's preached out of the word of God, I don't care how 
well or how bad it's preached, if it's preached from the Word of God by the Spirit of God, the best thing you can say within yourself is amen to that. Even if I don't fully get it. Even if I fully don't know if I, I, I don't know if I'm fully there yet. Amen to that because if the Word says it, I believe it. Amen. And when you do that, things shift in you. God begins to work in you. God will bring you from that place of some doubts and questions to a place where you are standing firm in the faith. And I'll tell you this, he doesn't always answer those questions. Sometimes he does much better. Because some of those questions are just based on a wrong premise altogether. And he'll, he'll, he'll show you and he'll work with you. But he will move you from doubt to belief. Let's be more like Mary. Let's be like Mary and embrace the word of the Lord even when we don't get it even when it has some challenges to our preconceived ideas and our preconceived notions. Let's just say yes to the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Stand up with me.